Thanks, Lorraine. Great to have that part of the Bible open, if you can keep it there. That would be very helpful for us. Uh, we are starting a brand new series, uh, which will run for the next uh, month or so. It's going to be great. I'm really excited. We're looking at 2020. We're thinking about this idea of growing and making apprentices, and we're going to start off with these letters to the churches in Revelation. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are living and active, that your Son is enthroned at your right hand, ruling over all things. Father, we thank you that you see and care for your church across the world. And we pray that here this morning your word might be living and active, and by your Holy Spirit you might challenge and change us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, question. Does anybody know who, what this is? What is this? It's a mumble. Oh, it's a Tassie tiger, and somebody even went with the proper name, which is thylacine. Fantastic. Can anyone spell thylacine? The thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger, I I, I meant to change this so that it was a question to play for. Uh, 1936 was the last one that died in captivity, uh, believed to be extinct. The belief is that there are no more Tasmanian tigers around in the world. Now, that is really a shame because they're a beautiful, extraordinary, unique animal. Uh, Just the other day, I think I wrote in the newsletter, I read somewhere that somebody in Tassie was saying that they might have seen one in the bush. I reckon there's enough bush in Tassie that you could see anything you want uh, if you go hunting around. But okay, uh, the, the theory is that they're extinct, that there aren't any more left. And that is indeed a tragedy because of how beautiful they are. What about the church? What if there was only one church left in all the world? What if there was this one was the, was the last one in all the world? There's a great line that I've heard, which is that the church, Christianity, is only ever one generation away from extinction. You heard this before? Christianity is only ever one generation away from extinction. If we're not passing it on to our kids, Christianity dies with with us. And so the church is only ever one generation away from extinction. What what if we were the last church? The uh, the most recent survey, 2016, does anyone know what percentage of people in Australia were Christian? It used to be the number was somewhere over 60%, but in 2016 we were told that it had fallen to 52.2% of the Australian population said that they were Christians. Funnily enough, I actually think that's an extraordinarily high number, isn't it? Because how, what percentage of the Australian population do you think are in church on a Sunday? 10% is your guess, Morgan? Anyone else? Higher? Lower? Lower. Okay, well, let's have a look. Uh, our best guess, on the basis that once a month is attending church, uh, the best guess I've seen is about 8% of Australia attends once a month. Now, that wouldn't be great attendance for a start, would it, church? Because you're here every week, right? Of course, of course you are. And so that puts, we're carrying a heavy amount of that 1%, I mean, of that 8%, I suspect. Anyway, here's the observation. Apparently that 8% is more, however, than all the people who go and see an AFL game or an NRL game every week. So that's actually pretty good. We're beating the NRL and the AFL. But it's a little bit sad given the 52% number, isn't it? What about here in Oran Park? Well, the latest stats I have suggest that there are 7,280 people in Oran Park precinct. 
That's a lot of people, isn't it? Do you think we might need some more chairs here? What, what, what percentage of them do you think come here on a Sunday? It's a, it's a really interesting thought, isn't it? Particularly when there is only one church building in the whole of Oran Park. What if we were the last church? Well, one of the things to think about, I guess, if we were the, the last one, is to go, well, what are we currently outsourcing? Right? What are the things that we're not doing here that we're hoping somebody else is taking care of? Are we hoping that someone else is doing mission? I mean, I'm sure someone is telling their friends and neighbours about Jesus, aren't they? Somewhere, good, someone will take care of it for us. How about serving? I'm glad somebody is looking after our kids. That, that's good, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that's happening. What about our kids? Are we telling them about Jesus or are we trusting schools? And who? In your household, are you passing on the faith like Christianity dies if it doesn't go to the next generation in my house? And, and what about money? Gee, I hope someone's paying for this thing, don't you? I mean, the lights are on, so that's got to be a good sign, doesn't it? Actually, there's a, there's a stack of people who are helping make this happen. But it's interesting to think about, isn't it? Is everyone carrying the load or, or, or just, just a few? Now, fortunately, in reality, we aren't actually alone, are we? We're not the only church in Oran Park. In fact, wonderfully, and we see this at Synod, uh, there are 270 Anglican churches in the Diocese of Sydney from the Hawkesbury up that way, all the way down to Nowra in the south. So we're not on our own. How wonderful is that? Across Sydney, 270 other buildings which are meeting under the Anglican banner. And just near us, we've got Cobbity down that way. We've got Hope up at Leppington. We've got Harrington Park just over the hill. Praise God for our brothers and sisters who are hoeing in the field just around us. More than that, we've got a partnership with Norwest Anglican Church up in Borkham Hills. And we have a wonderful connection with the Refuge Baptist Church in Oran Park. They don't have a building, but they meet in the public school. Praise God for them as we do scripture together. We aren't on our own. More than that, we have a great partnership with OPAC, Oran Park Anglican College, just down the road. Praise God that Jesus is proclaimed there. And at the other end of the demographic spectrum, we, we thank God for Anglicare just here, where we have access to speak of Jesus and where Jeff is every single week. Praise God that we aren't on our own. But you know, the environment in Australia is changing for us as Christians, isn't it? What, what happens when the temperature rises? What happens when it gets harder to be a public Christian? And, and if you notice that the temperature is rising, did, did you notice how our media twisted what the Archbishop said this week. I don't know if you heard this. Apparently, the Archbishop said to everybody who disagrees on same-sex marriage, leave the church. That isn't what he said, church. What he was doing, and Alec and I were there, and we saw him and we heard him, he said, bishops across Australia, if you have been entrusted with the faith of the Anglican church, a faith that is reformed and based on the Bible, and you abandon the Bible, we don't have to leave you. You have to leave us teachers of God's word. Do you see the difference? But in the media, it's portrayed as, oh, you know, get out everybody who doesn't believe. That's a tragedy. It wasn't what he said, but it gives us an idea. Our world is against us, and the temperature is rising. And many of you have felt that, haven't you? In your workplaces, amongst your friendships, you know the temperature is rising. 
Well, in that context, we want to make next year a focus on growing and making apprentices. Growing each one of us to be better apprentices to Jesus. Making more apprentices by seeing the world out there, all 7,280 of them in Oran Park, right? Come into here. We want to have a seating crisis. We want to have a car park crisis, don't we? Oh, no, but I like my car park. And, uh, no, 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 we want to have a crisis out there, don't we? Good, good, I think so, I think. Yeah, we want to see new life come to every home. That's, that's why we are here. So next year is devoted to growing and making apprentices. To help us think about that, this series will take us into that question. And today we're looking at the book of Revelation. Here's our Bible timeline. It goes from the Old Testament here with creation all the way through the New Testament, past Jesus there, to new creation at the end. The book of Revelation is written about the end of all things. Here's three quick tips for understanding Revelation. Number one, it's written in an environment of persecution. The churches that Revelation was written to were under the pump. There was a Roman emperor who hated the Christians and was persecuting them to death. It's in written in an environment of persecution. Secondly, it, re- it requires some interpretation. I've got a Picasso up there, right? It's probably a thing of flowers or fruit or something. Maybe it's a woman. But you don't know. You have to have some help interpreting it, yeah? Revelation is a little bit like that. You need some help to make sense of the pictures. Thirdly, the the two-word summary of the book of Revelation, if Revelation ever confuses you, two-word summary of the book of Revelation, Jesus wins. Oh, Revelation, I don't know what it's about. Church, this is what it's about. Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus will be victorious. That is what the book of Revelation is written to tell us. Okay? So we're going to see now letters that are written to seven churches. And uh, they're written in the ancient Roman world. This is the Roman Empire. We're going to zoom in a little bit closer to the province of Asia. And more specifically here to these seven churches. There were more churches than that when Revelation was written. But these are written to these seven churches. So let's start with the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was the basis for Paul's outreach into the whole province of Asia. He taught there for years, and that's where the good news about Jesus came to the Colossians. You know, we've been doing Colossae. So Paul was preaching in Ephesus, and the good news came inland through... Oh, have I got my little pointer? There we go. Came inland here to near Laodicea to Colossae down here. It's an amazing place. As we see each of these, we will hear reference to a lampstand and to a star. Basically, the stars are pictures of the church. Each of the churches is like a star. And each of the churches is like a lampstand because we are the light of the... Right? So they're they're lights to the world. And, And so let's listen. In each of the addresses, there's actually a little bit of a formula. There's a construction to how they are put together. And uh, so we're going to see in each one of these addresses to the churches something about Jesus. So have a look with me at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who holds the church in his hand and in fellowship walks among them. What a beautiful picture of our Savior Jesus. We're going to see that in each one of these addresses to the churches, Jesus knows something about them and speaks into their situation. What does Jesus know about the church in Ephesus? Well, look with me at verses 2 to 3. 
I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have, been, you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. What does Jesus know about this beautiful church? Well, firstly, he knows they've got an energetic and lasting ministry. How fantastic. Secondly, he knows that they have faithful discernment. They've tested the people who are teachers. They've gone, these guys are telling the truth, and these guys are leading us astray. They've been discerning. Thirdly, we can see that they've endured opposition and stood firm. Now, that's a pretty good report card, isn't it? That is a fantastic church that Paul established. And yet, look what the living Jesus says to them. Have a look at verse 4. So they've started off so well. Verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. No, no, no. Not, not in year three in primary school, right? No, that, that's not the first love that you've forsaken. That, that's not what he's talking about. You have forsaken your first love. Jesus, whom you chose to follow, you're starting to neglect. They lack love. They lack love. And you go, oh, boo-hoo. At least they've got their doctrine right, right? Why do they need to have love? Why does it matter? Does anyone remember 1 Corinthians 13? Has anyone been to a wedding recently? It's, it's, it's the wedding chapter. Yeah, right? Love is patient, love is kind, you know all that? But, but it also says that if I can have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, what am I? I am nothing. If I can prophesy and speak all mysteries, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you lack love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, your labor in the Lord, fruitless. Now that's serious, isn't it? And so this church, despite all its brilliance, is actually in danger of falling. I'm calling it the robot church. They're doing the stuff, but they're heartless. They're empty on the inside. How do they challenge us? Well, verses 5 to 6 uh, help us out. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. How do they challenge us? Well, I want to say if we're doing lots for Jesus, and praise God, many, many of you are doing lots for Jesus. Praise God. But if we're doing lots for Jesus, we need to ask how well we know Jesus. Am I an energizer bunny with a battery but not a heart? We've got to actually love our Savior. We need to love him. Do we have a personal faith that overflows into service or are we standing with people who are active and being active with them? Does your love for Jesus overflow in passionate work for Jesus. You see, today, the church in Ephesus is gone. Why? Because the town is gone. There's no town there anymore. And the church, just five minutes up the road, 99% Muslim. Only a tiny little church struggles to survive in that place. But there's a challenge at the end. Each one of these churches is given a promise have a look with me at verse 7. Each one of the churches gets a promise. In verse 7 it says, whoever has ears. Has anyone here today got ears? Great. 
This, this is for you then. This is a word from the Lord for you. Whoever has ears, right? Listen to this. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What does he say? Hang on. Hang on. And so instead of robotic service, instead of robotic service, in danger of falling out, here is the promise of eternal fellowship. What, what does he say? Well, if you hang on, you're going to walk in the paradise of God. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They walked with God in the garden in intimate fellowship. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you hang on, that fellowship awaits you. Love him now and you will walk with him forever in glory. How good is that? Oh, here's the second church. The second church is in a place called Smyrna. It's also a seaside town, a port town. Who is Jesus who speaks to the church in Smyrna? Have a look with me at verse 8. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I love these titles for Jesus, right? Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one who rules over all. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who died and rose again in glorious victory. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's who Jesus is as he writes to Smyrna. Well, what does Jesus know about the church in Smyrna? Have a look with me at verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. See, it's amazing. Jesus doesn't need to get a letter from them. He knows. He cares for every church. And what he knows about this church is he knows their afflictions. He knows their financial poverty. He knows that there are people who are slandering them with false charges, and yet he knows something else about them. He says, I know your spiritual riches. How extraordinary. If you look on the outside, you say they're povo, right? They've got nothing on earth. And Jesus looks at them and says, you are rich. You're rich. What a beautiful picture. Here's the word of encouragement for them. Have a look at verse 10. This is the word of encouragement for them. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you, the, give you life as your victor's crown. So who doesn't want a word from the Lord, right? Persecution? Jail is ahead of you. Persecution? Death is before you. Who wants that prophecy? It's stark, isn't it? This is the living Lord speaking to his church. And what he's saying is the temperature's rising. It's only going to get further. Further persecution and death in place of your life is ahead for you. We see this even 60 years later. Um, bishop Polycarp, do you remember I talked about him? An 86-year-old bishop who went to his death saying, Jesus has never let me down. Why would I betray him now? 60 years after this was written, the church in Smyrna was still being persecuted to death. I'm calling these guys the lion-hearted. The lion-hearted. They were suffering and they were given strength to suffer more. Now that's a different gospel, isn't it? You're going to get a TV and a great holiday and you're going to... It's not what Jesus is offering. But he loves these guys. What's the challenge? We see it in verse 10. 
that if they are faithful, they will be given life as their victor's crown. And so I want to ask you, church, will you be faithful on Monday? Right, it's great being faithful today. Well done, you're here. Fantastic. Will you be faithful to Jesus where you are tomorrow? Will you put your hand up and say, yep, I'm one of the Jesus people? That can be hard, can't it? Will you be faithful to your family? Will you help your family grow in knowing and loving Jesus, even as the pressure rises? And church, here's a question for us. I pray we don't ever have to ask this question of ourselves. But the question is here, would we be faithful even to death? Our brothers and sisters around the world today are asked this question right now. From Sri Lanka to the Middle East. Would we be faithful to Jesus even to death? See, today, that church in Smyrna is a town of four million people. It's one of the longest occupied towns in the world, apparently, I'm told. And wonderfully, from that faithful base, there are still 12 churches there that have survived to this day. How wonderful is that? There is still a Christian witness in the middle of a Muslim country right there in Smyrna. Praise God for them. So what was the promise that Jesus made to these guys? Have a look at verse 11. Whoever has ears. Anyone got ears here? Good, good. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Did you notice? Not that you won't be hurt at all on the first death. Did you see this? But you guys have got the second death. No problems, right? What does he mean? Well, well, this is kind of, in John 5, it says this. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but it's crossed over from death to life. You can know today that your eternity is secure if you trust Jesus. Might we die? Yes. Might we die persecuted? Yes. We don't need to fear the second death. It's locked in, not through I, but through Christ in me. Yes? Praise God. And so to the lion-hearted, Jesus says, don't worry about persecution. Because the second, the second death is beaten. It's done. What about church number three? We're skipping all the way through to the seventh church here. We did the first two. Now we're going to the last one. The seventh church is in Laodicea, just up the road from Colossae. It's a church that was known, I mean, it's a city that was known for its medicines, for its wool, and for its tepid water. What a wonderful thing. I'm just going to have some cold water now just because it's just terrible. Tepid water. You know when you've left your water bottle in the car on a sunny day? Right, that's what they were like. That's what the water was like. Well, who is Jesus when he speaks to this church in chapter 3 and verse 14? These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Who is Jesus? He is faithful and he is the ruler of all. Faithful ruler of all. That's the one who is speaking to the church in Laodicea. Why do they need to know that? Have a listen to this church. What does Jesus know about the church in Laodicea? Have a look at verse 15 in chapter 3. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, he says, 
to buy from me. See, what does Jesus know about this church? He knows that they are apathetic in their faith. He knows that they are in imminent danger and that their true nature is that they are spiritually poor. They're in spiritual poverty. That's weird, isn't it? See, we'd look at them and we'd go, hey, nice threads. They're really well-dressed. This is a church that's, you'd put these guys on TV. Everyone looks good. Everybody sounds good. They're the ones who are over, overcoming for Jesus, right? Wealth, luxury, we've made it. And Jesus says, I look at you and you are spiritually poor. Do you remember what he said to Smyrna? You're the poverty guys, but in my eyes you are you're rich. He looks at the wealthy guys and he says, there's poverty here, spiritual poverty. So what's their situation? Well, these guys are in significant jeopardy. Have a listen to Jesus' words to them in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you, to cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, the situation is they have an invitation from God to buy what is good. Come and buy gold refined by the... And it's like, what, sorry, what, what does this mean? I've got all the money. How do I buy something from you, God? Well, there's a beautiful verse in, in Isaiah 55. In, in Isaiah 55, God is speaking to his people and he says, come buy from me. Come find what truly satisfies. Don't spend your money on the salt water well of this world. So you can buy out all the junk mail that comes into your room into your letterbox you can buy everything in there you can have the biggest tv on the block you can have the newest car you can have the biggest house you can have it to the nth degree and what do we know brothers and sisters we know that out there our friends who don't have jesus are struggling they're battling they're unsatisfied they're lacking the heart of life they are spiritually poor isn't that right they are spiritually poor. And God is inviting this church for fellowship with him. I stand at the door and knock. I stand and knock. I want to be with you. You will either let me in or you'll shut me out. But if you shut me out, you're facing destruction. This is a church that stands in jeopardy of being spat out of Jesus' mouth. What is the challenge for us? Well, here was their challenge. Their challenge is, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. I want to ask you, will we buy into the kingdom, right? Um, Graham spoke to us last week and he said, "Use the little parable said, use worldly wealth. Use worldly wealth. Will we use our worldly wealth for kingdom eternal things? Or will we have our homes filled with stuff? And if you wonder about that, when was the last time you moved house? If you've done that recently, has anyone moved house recently? Here's what I found. The universal human experience when you move house is I have too much stuff. If you haven't done it recently, have a go. It's fantastic. Great. You look at it and you just go, I could, I could have that second truck not turn up. I think we'd be okay. That's what our life is like. Filled with stuff. 
And so he says, will you use your wealth for the kingdom? Will we pledge to build the kingdom here with our wealth or will we build our own little castles? What about that church today? Well, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. I'm not sure that was the judgment of God. I can't say that. But Laodicea was destroyed. Five minutes up the road is another city where everyone moved to. I don't know why they figured five minutes up the road wouldn't be destroyed by earthquake, but that's by the by, right? I don't get it. But up the road is another, another, another city. It has half a million people in it, but only three to four converts. That's a tragedy, isn't it? What does Jesus promise this church in verse 21? To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. What he's saying to them, the spit you out of your mouth, church, is you can rule later with Jesus if you stop trying to rule now by wealth and power. Make the exchange. Look for the heavenly reward, not the earthly one now. So how should we respond, church? Well, if we go back 2,000 years, in Ephesus, there was a hard-working but heartless church. In Smyrna, a strong church needing to be stronger still. In Laodicea, a wealthy but weak as warm water church. Where do we fit in? Well, if we come forward to our church, do we know hard work? Labor in the Lord? Yeah, we do. It's a brilliant church. Works really hard. We work hard. Do we see persecution rising, Australia? Yes, we do, don't we? We see persecution rising. Do we know about wealth? Oh, we do. Is that right? Do we know about wealth here, church? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We know about wealth. So what does Jesus say to us? As we work hard, we must rediscover our first love. We must love Jesus personally, warmly. As we see persecution rising, we must love Jesus enough to stand. When he's insulted, you choose to stand with him. You'd have to love him to do that, wouldn't you? We know about wealth. Will we invest in the kingdom before it strangles our faith? Will we invest in the kingdom before it strangles our faith? See the Tassie Tiger? No longer with us. The church of God, still here. Here's what I want you to know, church. Jesus will be victorious. Jesus will be victorious. He was victorious on the cross. He beat death. He's going to return as the judge of the world. Right now, he rules unopposed. Jesus will be victorious. The question for you and me this morning is, will we be standing with him when he is? When he returns in glory, will I be running out going, that's my saviour? Or, hello, I'd like to introduce you. My name's Stuart. Brothers and sisters, we need to be the church that knows and loves and serves Jesus. So next year, what are we going to be on about? Growing and making apprentices. Because we need that 7,280 people to come and make it awkward in our car park and in our building. We need to be deeper with Jesus ourselves. And man, I want to receive Jesus with as many people as possible from here and around the world. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, you're good and gracious. You hold this church just like you hold all the churches in the world in your hands. Father, be merciful to us. Rekindle our love for you. Help those of us who are facing persecution today to be strong. Help those of us who face the prospect of it in the future to be strong. Help us, Father, to know what to do with our wealth, that we might not be spiritually poor, but that we might see your kingdom grow. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.